Welcome to another episode of the podcast. With me today, I have Michael Morrissey. Michael is uh, just an amazing writer and creator. He's someone that I've been a fan of for a really long time. He's a writer of such awesome uh, comic series like Wasted Space and The Plot and Burning Fields and Hoax Hunters. And we're going to talk a little bit about his new series from Vault Comics called Barbaric, which I had an absolute uh, blast uh, reading and talking to him about. Um, before we get to the ep- uh, episode, make sure you check out uh, my Kickstarter for my horror series Forgotten Hymns. There are exactly two days left, so go on over to Kickstarter and type in Forgotten Hymns to get your hands on a copy of Forgotten Hymns. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right. So uh, with me today, I have Michael Morrissey. Michael, uh, I'm a huge fan of yours, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, talk to me, man. I've uh, been a huge fan not only of your writing, but also of uh, you have a YouTube channel where you talk about writing, man, that I've just loved to kind of just take in. And um, I also appreciate you uh, sharing with me your new series, Barbaric. So I guess first is thank you, and second, uh, when's Barbaric coming out? Because I'd love to just kind of pick your brain about that. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, Barbaric, I believe it's June 29th. I'm going to check my calendar. No, it's got to be June 30th, I guess. It was June 16th. I look at my calendar, an old man here. It was June 16th. I think I got pushed to the 30th. It's the last check. So, but no matter what June is, is uh, when it's happened, when Barbaric 1 will be there. Yeah. I, um, one of my favorite, um, favorite one of your youtube installments was the world building one where you talked about um how to build a world and i kind of saw it unfold in barbaric kind of like in real time so uh kind of how do you how did you go about constructing this like high fantasy world that's like half conan the barbarian half like high fantasy and magic there's a lot of stuff kind of going on there and it's really really cool yeah no thanks yeah i mean i think you know here's the thing that i always say about world building and i don't remember if i said it in the in this specific video or not uh, i can't i can't quite recall but what i would say about world building so i like to keep world building simple i like to keep it you know kind of simple and easy and clear i think you know like i i'm not a person who likes to encumber a narrative um with too much world building so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so in that vein, like I try to make it so like the, everything that happens in the world is important to the narrative, important to the story. And that, you know, it's a simple, it's a simple and complete tapestry that everything works together. There's not like part of the world that has nothing to do with story or part of the story that really doesn't contribute to the world. And when I say contribute, it could be contribute in like how, like just the feel of the world, the tone of the book, something like that. Um, so in the case of Barbaric, you know, one of the biggest things about bar- Barbaric is, like, it's irreverency. You know, like, a lot of fantasy takes itself very, very serious in world building. <clears throat> um, and it's a great thing. And I'm not being critical of that, you know. But they take, you know, there's a reason why, like, a fantasy novel is, like, you know, just doorstoppers. You know, 700, 800 pages, you know, it would take the rest of my life for me to read most of them. But um, they're they're just, they're huge. And they're big into world building. Whereas, like barbaric i wanted to kind of not make fun of that but i just kind of like be the opposite of that and just say like yeah there's world 
And like the book, the tone of the book, which is tongue in cheek and funny and violent and all this stuff, the world itself is going to reflect that. And the world's just bonkers. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't really have rules for this world. You know, it's just, there's stuff, (laughs) you know, there's, there's magic, there's hell, there's witches, there's these weird villains, there's, you know, violence, there's a talking ax, there is, you know, there's all these things, right? And I think that you can suspend the disbelief because like, that's the story. The story is just like, it is so wild and unhinged that of course the world is also just wild and unhinged and it all works together. You know, like if I was telling a very serious story, then I'd have to be more serious about the world building, you know, but barbaric, barbaric really isn't that story. <laughs> you know, the barbaric is intentionally just having fun, you know? Yeah, I I definitely felt like you were having fun uh, throughout the like the first panel on the first page. One of my favorite sequences was uh, it was uh, him saying, "I like to fight and drink and have sex," but definitely didn't use the have sex part. And like it was like a couple right. panels like that. And it was just it was just a lot of fun. Uh, what was it like, kind of going through just the? I, I felt like there was so much in that first issue. What what was it like kind of constructing a first issue? Cause I feel like for a lot of creators, sometimes the first issue kind of becomes a problem. And I felt you kind of really had a lot in that issue more so than most first issues. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that is, um, you know, that's something I really was like intentional of. I was like, you know, I just want to throw it against the wall, you know, that's, you know, everything in barbaric. Um, and I think this is kind of like an extension. I've said this before, I think at, at different interviews and stuff where I think about like where my career really kind of took a turn, where my writing took a turn, it was really in wasted space and wasted space is where I really learned to like, just kind of embrace my own voice and embrace my own way of storytelling, my own way of thinking. Like I am a, a uh, hundred miles per hour kind of guy. I'm big, you know, like I, I, you know, I don't, it's weird. Cause this weird, <laughs> weird kind of relationship. Like I am pretty quiet. I'm not very social, but I am social and I am like out and about and I'm, everything I do with, I'm just big, you know, and I'm big with work. I work a lot. I, I, when I play, I work hard, I play hard. I'm that kind of guy, you know, like, and waste of space was like kind of captured that bigness of like big ideas, big action, big humor, big heart, like just be big and everything. So as I learned that kind of formula that felt kind of nationally as the first time I really just kind of let myself go. And as I was doing barbaric, I was like, well, let's, let's just do that again and do it more. You know, I, I really, I probably wasn't as cognizant. I became cognizant of it over the process of Wasted Space. Um, and then I really kind of harnessed that cognization or realization, whatever you want to call it, in Barbaric. And I was just like, let's just, let's just take Barbaric, let's take issue number one and all the rules of like structure and expectations, just throw them out the window. Like, I don't care. Like, I just want this to be a big, loud, fun story. And, you know, by the time you get to the end, you've sort of set up the conflict, you know, like there's, there's a conflict by the end, but the whole story is just backstory. Really. It's like, you're learning who, Oh, you have this, you have the structure is just like, you have this beginning scene, you know, that kind of gives you a sense of who he is. Then you have his backstory and then you have like the setup of the conflict It's really just three, three parts, I guess, three acts, but not, traditional three act in any way um 
And it just like what it leans into instead is just embracing its tone and its character. And again, that's sort of like robustness that I really love just going really big for everything. And, you know, Barbaric is turned up to 11 in every single issue. Two is the same. Three is the same. You know, we just, we're just going for it. Yeah. It's, it's really an awesome, awesome first issue. I had a lot of fun reading it, man. So I appreciate you showing me one of my favorite, uh, besides that, you know, I, I drink and, and fight and have sex scenes was uh, <laughs> the end where uh, um, Barbaric meets uh, the Barbarian meets kind of like that, witch he saves. I don't want to give out too many spoilers, but, uh, and she's like pulling like, oh, sure. No. She's like pulling swords <laughs> out of her. Like, where did that, like, that's like a super unique and cool, like I've never seen, like, you know, like you, you've seen a lot, but that was something that I thought was really cool. What was it like coming up with that character? Cause it feels like you're having a lot of fun with these characters, like with the talking axe and goblins and witches. <sighs> Yeah, that's actually, you know, it's funny. So that was actually Nate, uh, artist Nate Gooden, his creation. Uh, I didn't have that in the in the script. Um, and that's the beauty of him and I. We were buddies before this book. Nate and I have been buddies for a while. We wanted to do a book together. And it's him and I being eye to eye of having the same, like, having the same sensibility, having the same, um, <clears throat> excuse me, having the same kind of, like, idea of what we want this book to be we were very clear from the onset of like this is what we want barbaric to look like this is what we want it to feel like and for him for me being like dude just do what you want man like i don't care like whatever you feel like doing whatever you think is good like my script is a guideline and i say it, i work like this with really all ours I'm like you look you're the artist you know what's best i'm giving you this kind of like this is your your i don't know your very loose instruction manual, but you're putting the thing together. You go do it, you know? So Nate really took that to heart and ran with it. A lot of stuff like he is, is a testament to his creativity and his skill. Um, but not only that, like both of us had a lot of conversations and this includes um, um, Adrian Wassel, the editor of all, um, a lot of conversation we had about like, we really wanted to make something that's thoroughly a comic. Like, like I just want to we really wanted to embrace the medium as much as possible, you know? And we were like, well, what's such a big thing about like, what's such a big thing about comics? You know, like, what is it about comics that like other mediums don't really do necessarily. And the thing about comics that of many things that it does that other mediums do not do. One of it is iconography, you know, iconography is like just so important in comics. It's one of the foundation, visual iconography, one of the foundations of the medium, you know, from, you know, character design to costumes, to powers, you know, stuff like that. There's all sorts of just icon, iconic visual motifs, visual objects, whatever. And we're like, we want to have that. And that's where Axe came from for, for one thing. We're like, he wants, we want to have an Axe. It was originally a sword and it kind of like evolved into the Axe. And we're like, well, <clears throat> how could we, oh, excuse me, how could we go about doing this? Like get this, you know, iconic thing that the barbarian Owen has and just the Axe. And then Nate kind of took that a step further where like, instead of Sorin the witch, which she, we don't get her name in issue one. It's a joke, actually issue two about her not having a name. Uh, that comes later so it is intentional her not having a name but um her just not having a sword or she I think she like in the script she like picks up a sword or something like that instead of that it's like oh she's got these knives and daggers that she pulls out of like basically the tattoos in her skin 
just really iconic, you know, like that's something that's so visually striking and memorable. And I think that's what helps make comics comics is that visual stuff. Like obviously it's a visual medium, but taking that, embracing it even further and not just telling the story visually, but making it, I, I, you know, giving that iconography as well. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I've definitely felt it. Uh, and it definitely had a lasting impression on me. Like it was like at the perfect time too, like right at the, uh, Right at the end of the issue, I was like, I wanted to read more of this, right? Plus, the way you ended it, too, I was like, oh, this, it's about to, like, really get serious here. Uh, so I loved it. And uh, you, you you talked a little bit about Wasted Space, and uh, I read that uh, as well. And I, I thought it was a really uh, – I thought it was a really interesting book because you have this guy who is a messiah but doesn't want to be. Like, what was it like kind of coming up with that character? Because I thought it was a really interesting character that no one's really done before yeah yeah i mean uh wait to space is such an interesting book because i think it really also like i was saying before you know kind of like finding my rhythm or finding my voice or you want to call it like i enjoy writing uh uh jerks i enjoy writing shitty people you know owen's not a great owen in barbaric is not a great person you know billy bain in waste space is not a great person and it's it's funny. I feel like it's sort of reactionary. It's two things that really kind of got my, got my mind going. One is like, um, as comics have gotten more, you know, we can have a whole conversation about this and we, we don't really have to, but you know, as comics get more politicized and I'm okay with that. I'm not one of these people saying like, Ooh, get comics, politics out of comics. I'm not that guy. But I also think that like the politics in comics is often like super low hanging fruit. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh, look at how good I am. I'm, I, I embrace moral things. And you're like, all right, I guess, <laughs> you know, like, I guess that's great. You know, good for you that you, you're on the side of being against clearly bad things, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, hooray. <laughs> um, but like, like, you know, I want to have characters that, you know, so that's one thing. And the second thing is I love Garth Ennis, you know, I just love Garth who, I think we share a lot of sensibility that he likes to do stuff that are like irreverent and, and loud and and gross and uh, mixing, you know, the sacred and the profane. And like a lot of my writing, I was saying this in an interview recently as well. I like putting uh, opposites against each other and just smashing them together. So like you have a Messiah who is a piece of shit, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) Billy has intentions of being a good person and he sort of wants to be a good person, but he doesn't know how to be a good person, you know, and he's thrust upon this, this responsibility that he never should have had. So like, he has a lot of complexities in the sense of like these dualities, you know, Owen is the same thing. Like he gets cursed to be good. He's a barbarian, you know, he's literally a barbarian who has to do the right thing all the time. Like, that's funny. You know, <laughs> like then you get a lot, of, you can also get a lot of good discourse out of it, but, but fundamentally it's funny. It's a, it's a joke. It's a, it's a, it's a gag that never gets old, you know, like Garth has done that for 20 plus years. I mean, preacher is oftentimes hilarious, but it's oftentimes also profound and sad and, and tender and, and wildly intelligent, you know, and, um, but also gross and profane <laughs> and disgusting, you know, and like, and, and there's sometimes where it's revolting. And there's sometimes where Billy in Ways of Space something says some things in the comic that I find abhorrent, you know, but like, it's okay. It's okay for characters to be, to not always be good people, to not always go for that low hanging fruit, to be like, well, 
yeah, maybe there are these good things, but maybe this guy just doesn't want to be good all the time. You know, there's just doesn't like it, you know, it's just, you know, like, so, and it creates, I think, dynamic and interesting storytelling, you know, and that's kind of was the foundation of, of Waste of Space is just putting all these complex things and, and oppositional things in a blender and, and having fun with them and just smashing against each other and see what happens. And I think that's a, that's a lot of lessons. Like I said, I learned from Ennis time and time again, you know, Preacher is one of my favorite books. It always will be. I think it's one of the best comics ever made. And, you know, that's, that's, that's really what, uh, what, you know, Waste of Space and Billy was kind of born out of that. That's that's awesome to hear. So when you're when you're writing and, and constructing your characters, are you doing like a, a heavy kind of outline first? Are you kind of just going into your draft and seeing what comes out of it? How you know, how is the is it character first and then the story or story first and then the characters? How does that kind of initial writing process kind of work for you? Um, it, uh, it differs project to project, you know, um, it depends. Um, sometimes the, 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 so in terms of like the idea phase, um, a lot of times it's a concept, you know, like waste of space was like a title. I was like, Oh, you know, it started as a title and grew from there. Barbaric was an idea. I was like, well, what if, you know, there was this barbaric who's cursed to do the right thing, you know, like, and I thought it was barbarian and I thought that was funny, you know, <laughs> like, um, but like, when it comes to like the nitty gritty of like, okay, sitting down to write, um, I'm usually, I'm usually trying, I mean, I obviously try to serve both. I'm definitely a plotter. Like I want to like sit down. I want to have the plot, the outline all done. I want to have a roadmap in front of me. Like I've known for a very long time where Waste of Space would end. I actually just wrote the 25th and final issue two or three weeks ago, something like that. Um, so I know where that story, I, I knew for a long time where that ended. And I knew I was going to that point. Um, but I think what you, here's my thing. Okay, let me reframe this. I think this will make it simpler. I think every story, you have to know centrally what the story is. You know, like what is, if you just boil everything down to two sentences, like what is this story? Like what is the waste of space story what is the barbaric story what is the roche livid story you know whatever you know like what is the batman story you can apply to anything and once you have that idea of like this is what it is and i think this is something that like if you're looking at um and i've been um doing more you know some stuff in film and tv lately and i've been studying a lot of that and it's something i've learned from one of my favorite filmmakers is guillermo del toro who i think is is bar none one of if not the best storytellers alive right now and he always has such clarity of intent. Like you watch any of his movies and his movies, like you watch it. <clears throat> now there's a lot of subtext and there's a lot of things going on, but there'll be the one thing where it's like shape of water or let's say Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth is about this. It's about disobedience. This is what this movie is about. It's a fairy tale, war allegory. that's about, diso- about a little girl learning to come of age and embracing disobedience. That's essentially, there's other stuff going on about fascism and, and, civil liberties there's there's other smaller things but it's about this and once you know what that is and it's hard it's hard as a storyteller to to to, you know you have so many ideas and characters and plots and stuff you want to do it's hard to kind of strip all that stuff away to get to the essential this is what the story is and once you discover that everything has to serve that 
You know, everything in Pan's Labyrinth serves that idea in one form or another. It's about a little girl coming of age and learning to embrace disobedience in the face of fascism. You know, and everything in the story has something to do with that. Everything that's visual, everything in the dialogue, all the other characters, they're all serving this one thing thoroughly. He does that in every single movie. And a lot of it, he's not alone. I think he's just personally one of my favorites and personally one of the best. But everything serves this one thing. And I think that's what you have to do, like what you're talking about, like when you build the plot, when you start developing the characters, you ha- you kind of, it's a chicken and the egg because sometimes you discover that one thing during the process. Like when you're in early stages of development, it's a process of discovery. You're discovering the characters, you're trying to figure out the story. And that one thing that it's about will come to you hopefully in the, pro- you don't really start there most likely, maybe, but having a, such a fully formed idea of what a story is, is, is really, really challenging. It's hard to get there like right away. But once you do discover it in this process of development, then it's kind of like everything, it's like the magnet, everything's metal then that just has to like, you know, close upon this thing, you know, and all these disparate ideas and everything like that have to just like circle around and just now we're all serving this one thing. Um, and once you discover, you know, then it becomes, then when you talk about character development, plot development, it becomes a lot easier because you know, you kind of know where you're heading, you know, not just in terms of just an end point, but you know what you're supposed to be doing. All these things are tied into one central point. Yeah, that's really well said and something that I, I think, you know, every listener um, could really take a lot out of is just trying to figure out kind of what a story is about. Um, I, I, I know I, I've, I've heard you talk about this kind of like on Twitter and other places, but you do a lot of studying of like other uh, genres and, and the comic genre itself. So like, like what does your kind of the, the studying, what, what are you looking for? What are you dissecting? What are you reverse engineering and how does that kind of influence your own writing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so well, let me give, if you don't mind, I'm going to back back up one more to give one more example because this is my favorite example of what i was talking about before i think it will help especially in context of this podcast um guardians of the galaxy the first guardians of the galaxy movie right that entire movie it's so simple and it's so beautiful first of all it's an excellent movie i I, my favorite marvel movie i love that movie to death uh it's so brilliant but it's also so simple the movie begins and spoilers if you haven't seen if you haven't that's your problem Uh, (laughs) um, like the movie begins with peter's yeah yeah it's like 10 years (laughs) um peter's mom is dying right and she's saying peter take my hand as she's dying and peter does it he runs out of the hospital right and then he gets abducted uh and he disappears from earth the end of the movie is peter is holding the infinity stone in his hand and the only way for him to survive is for him to take the other guardian's hands the story is literally about peter learning how to take other people's hands that's it that is the story that is the entire story of guardians of the galaxy it's so simple but so perfect it's so clear is that all the characters essentially all the guardians have to learn how to take somebody else's hand that's it james gunn tells you in the beginning the first scene this is what this movie is about this is about a guy who has to learn how to be friends with others and trust other people this is it and every character he meets has the same exact problem they have the same problem and together they take each other's hands. That's it. And it's like, he knew what that story was so thoroughly. And when you have that knowledge, 
storytelling becomes so much easier. So, but anyway, <laughs> so uh, to answer the next question. Um, so yes, I am a very big student of everything. Storytelling of, you know, film, comic, uh, books, uh, books being novels, stuff like that, even history a little bit. I'm getting more and more into that. But like when I'm working on a project, um, like I said, you know, I've done, you know, uh, let's say Barbera, you know, one of the things I want to do is like, I'm like, okay, I know what kind of story this is. You know, it's a, it's a sword and sorcery. It's a Conan story. It's something, it's, it's, you know, um, it's something in this realm of, uh, of a very specific genre. I'm going to go and I'm going to learn how, how this works. Um, like I knew, I mean, everybody knows Conan, but I was like, I really want to go and learn what makes this thing tick. And also fantasy, you know, fantasy and this type of fantasy in general, I want to go and learn how to make, how this, this ticks. Like what is the process that makes this specific story work? Um, you know, characterization, uh, the, the, the tradition, the type of stories it tells, like, you know, just like, what are the kind of conflicts, you know, in Conan stories, you know, we all know Conan, but like, what are the bad guys? What are, what are the things that he encounters? You know, what are his obstacles? What are his, what are the kind of people that he runs into? You know, one of the big inspirations of this book was also this, uh, of Barbaric was this book series called the, the Kings of the Wild. There's two of them, Kings of the Wild and um, uh, Bloody Rose by a writer named uh, Nicholas Eames. <clears throat> they are tremendous they're so good kings of the wild is one of my favorite novels of all time um <clears throat> it's the same, same thing as barbaric it's very blood and funny but very heartfelt it's so good but i'm like well how does this actually work you know and um so my process is to to just kind of um ingest all this stuff absorb it break it down you know, like I have, uh, I take copious notes. I always have a project notebook and I'm just kind of like taking notes about what I'm learning, taking notes of ideas that form, you know, things like that. And then to a certain degree, forget all of it, you know, like be like, okay, this is, this is what I'm after. And this is how I'm going to do it. Because <clears throat> as I've said uh, numerous times, you know, one of the greatest things that a writer always needs to embrace and learn and I, and I mentioned this a little bit uh earlier in our talk is is with waste of space like waste of space is like the model for me like where i discovered my own thing like my own for lack of a better term my own voice so it's the process of like okay i'm gonna learn all this stuff i'm gonna get the history and i'm gonna tr see how i can make it my own you know like it's the same thing with like with like batman or superman or who anything like that wolverine if you're just writing Wolverine the way Wolverine's always been written, you're writing fan fiction. And I, I don't mean that to denigrate fan fiction, you know, because fan fiction is great. There's nothing wrong with it. But, but the distinction between like professional Wolverine is that like you're telling your Wolverine, like Ben Purse, who's doing Wolverine now, who I love, I love his Wolverine. It's, it's clearly Ben's Wolverine. You know, it's Wolverine. It's only recognized, but you have to still honor what that is, but it's his Wolverine. You know, it's his point of view. It's his voice. It's very, distinct from the Wolverine from from Charles Wolverine you know like you recognize the character but the story and the way a story is told is very different from those two those two voices um and it's the same thing with with you know create your own work whether it's wasted space or or the plot you know the plot was a story also it would fault that like um I still think it's very much my own voice because I think it's different from wasted space but it's also a different I'm a big horror fan. It's weird for me even to write, you know, Barbaric is such a strange book. I just had this idea that I love. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm not a fantasy fan, but I'm not, fantasy's never really been my thing. Horror is more my thing. But the plot is like very much my version of a gothic 
horror story. You know, that's how I want to do it. That was heavy with some personal stuff for me. Uh, had this sort of, uh, you know, deeper mythology, had monster mythos because I'm a big, you know, universal monster fan because I'm like, well, what if we did a haunted house story that has a monster in it, you know, um, which is something personally I've never seen. Um, so it's, it's a process for me of just breaking stuff down, even with the plot, like, okay, let me go back and like really learn Gothic fiction. Let me just really get deeply into it. What is it? Remind myself or learn or whatever, break it down, learn it and then forget it, then forget it and then figure out how I can do it my own and just take off running from there. But I, I spent a lot of time studying though. Development is my favorite, becoming my favorite part of writing because I just like to go and learn and, and absorb. And that's where I really do the heavy lifting. And then writing is just kind of like, when I actually sit down and write a script, there's no, there's not a lot of mystery anymore. Before I used to figure out years ago, I figure out as I wrote, I don't really do that anymore. Like there is some discovery, but now it's mainly just me taking everything that I've already synthesized and, and, and plotted out and stuff and just putting it into a script. Um, that's generally my process now. Yeah. Are you, um, when you're putting like the outline and the plot together, are you putting down dialogue or is that one of the only things you're kind of discovering as you're going through? Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes they're, they're in, you know, in the notebooks I mentioned, I'll, I'll write out quite a bit of dialogue. It's not really formal. Like it'll just be quotes and snippets and stuff like that, that eventually just kind of like when I'm doing that process of like, um, uh, transcribing it into a script or whatever, it'll find its way in. Um, but generally, um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They probably like have like, Oh, this would be cool to say. And then when it pops up in the script, like, Oh yeah, here it is. Or move it around. Yeah. That's that's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) And so you, you mentioned a little bit about, uh, writing, you know, you're, you're doing some creator own work, but you're also doing some, uh, you know, working for some big companies and some established kind of, um, uh, established titles like Star Wars or, or Dick Grayson. What is it like working on your own stuff compared to your process working with kind of established kind of, uh, IP? Um, I find established IP a lot more challenging personally. It's, it's, it's why, you know, I do a lot more of my own stuff to be, to be frank. Um, I just, it's, it's always a hurdle for me. Um, it's, it could be a good challenge and I'm not saying I don't enjoy it to a degree, but like if I'm, uh, you know, unfortunately there's only so many hours in a day and there's, you have to be judicious about projects and what you do and what you want to do and you want to do what you do well and what you enjoy most. Um, um, but the problem, you know, the difficulty I find with uh, established IP to a degree is that like, you know, I took this DC class. I was part of this DC writers workshop program uh, years ago. And Scott Snyder is a teacher and he's a, a brilliant, absolutely wonderful teacher. He's great. Um, and one of the things he said was like, here's how you do a book, you know, is that like when you're writing a book, you're essentially a, a superhero book. Um, you're taking the toys off the shelf, you play with them for a little bit, and then you put them back right where you found them, you know, and he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. And I find it hard to kind of do that because like, I like to, not not that I want to break the rules or break stuff or whatever. I told, I think he's right. But I think my problem is that, like I've said, like with voice, like uh, I like to really infuse a lot of what I, what I have uh, myself into my books. So like, it's hard to, when I'm doing that, like when I wrote, I wrote a Nightwing issue, for example, 
uh, I, I wrote this Nightwing issue as a fill-in, and I, I loved it. And I thought uh, people uh, people really enjoyed it. Luckily, you know, knock on wood. But there were some people at DC who weren't as enthusiastic about it. And the whole thing was like, what? I, I remember somebody. I mean, I won't name names. Somebody in DC brass at the time, and they're like, "What is this supposed to be funny or something?" And I was like, "Yeah, Dick's funny. You know, he's supposed to be funny. Like Nightwing's funny. Like, <laughs> and I was like, well, shit, man, <laughs> I'm in the they wrong just, gig. <laughs> um, they just wanted the uh, yeah. brooding, uh, the brooding Dick Grayson. Yeah, and then month, well, months later, you get Rick Grayson, you know. So that's right. that's how far away I was from that, you know. Like, um, so I mean, Star Wars though is different. Like Star Wars, I've always had such a natural like fit. Star, you know, superhero stuff is where I kind of trip up a little bit, and I'd like to get better. And if I had more opportunities, I would definitely love that. I pursue that more. Um, but like Star Wars has always been a natural fit for me. Star Wars, like I get that voice. I love Star Wars so much, and I feel like part of like my casualness eases into because star wars has that like fun romantic adventurous stuff that like i can really adhere to and plus star wars like my favorite thing ever so like i i already have like that kind of like in my dna so to speak like i already have that so it's like easy for me to kind of just get into the star wars headspace i love it so much i enjoy doing it so much so that's an easy one but um it's still, you know, it's still the same thing that you have to do. It's still the same thing you have to do, like in the create your own book. It's the same kind of melding a balance of like understanding the tradition, like understanding the tradition of star Wars and then kind of telling star Wars in your own way, you know, and um, it's a balance and it's not always easy, um, but it's really rewarding and super fun. Um, It's anything. If you're writing, you know, Vampirella, if you are writing, you know, X-Men, X-Force, whatever, it's big. You have to write a story that's thoroughly the tradition, that character, but writing it in your own way, you know, and I think that's the trick. That's the alchemy. And it's, it's tough. It's tough to be able to do both. There's some people do it really well, like Scott, Scott, Scott's voice, Scott's Batman. It's thoroughly Scott's Batman, but it's also thoroughly Batman at the same time. You know, he managed to do both incredibly well. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's something uh, a lot of a lot of writers kind of they're like, oh, I just want to write this one, you know, insert whatever character. But I don't think a lot of people realize kind of what goes into that. Right. You still got to be yourself. You still got to adhere to the tradition and all that. Um, now that, you know, you, 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 you played kind of in both sandboxes, you said you kind of like create our own stuff. What's it like getting your own creator own stuff kind of off the ground from like concept to pitching to finding a publisher. Cause I think a lot of new writers, that's kind of where they're kind of struggling when they're starting their career. And I feel like you've done a really good job kind of going in that direction. Well, it's harder. <laughs> it's harder. And there's so much I can say, like if you, you know um, you know, if you're doing Marvel or DC or star Wars or whatever, you don't have to really worry about sales nearly as much, you know, star Wars, for example, star as I've written, you know, new, I've been writing star Wars adventures for IEW a, a long, long time, you know, years. And when I'm done and somebody else come up, I have no kind of uh, ego about it. When I, when I'm done and somebody else is writing it and whatever, it's going to sell the exact same amount that it sold the issue. You know, if I'm done at issue 12 and somebody else takes an issue 13, there's going to be no sales 
loss. Star Wars is going to sell Star Wars, whether I'm on it or not. <laughs> you know, it's just going to, that's going to happen, you know? So there is a lot of just baseline comfort and ease in knowing that, you know, like, that's like, you don't have that sort of pressure. Of course, I want it to do well. I want it to be successful. I, I, it makes, it stresses me out. Like I, you know, like I did this Clone Wars book that was like kind of my idea for Star Wars and I pitched it and it worked out. I got accepted and the book came out. Um, and I, wanted it so badly and I worked really hardly for it to be successful because I was really invested in it. And maybe my efforts, maybe they did make a difference. Maybe it did sell a little bit better. I really don't know. It's impossible to to quantify that. But like when you're on a creator own book, like the sales are like, you really got to hustle, you know, like you are, it does make a difference and that's tough. Um, But thinking about pitching, um, you know, I don't know. It's weird because it's been so long since I've really, uh, so I'll answer as best as I can, but it's been a while since I've like had like the, uh, break in kind of thing. I, I'll tell you what, I don't want, I wouldn't want, I would and wouldn't want to be a comic writer, or comic creator, whatever you want to call it right now. I would because, you know, Kickstarter and web comics offers are, offer so many opportunities, um, to get your work done and quite frankly, do really well, you know, financially doing them. Um, and that really wasn't a th- thing when I was starting out like there was Kickstarter and there was some Kickstarter comics not really you know hadn't really quite broken through um web web comics too web comics were obviously around but you know there's some powerhouses now that that, that didn't really exist you know when I was like 10 plus years ago it was just different you know but you know my my thing my philosophy and I think this is kind of an evergreen philosophy is like what is, I think it's Groucho Marx, maybe it was Woody Allen. I, I we, you know, I, we should be apprehensive, I guess, about quoting Woody Allen, but whatever he said it, uh, <laughs> is that 90% of life is showing up, you know, like, and I think that like getting in, now granted, when I got my break, so to speak, so my break, I guess, was when uh, Tim Seeley had invited me to do the backup comic for hack slash when I was relaunching at um, image and my break came in, you know, I did that and I did hoax hunters there and hoax hunters spin off to its own series. But I had been in the comics community, you know, and publishing, you know, small comics, uh, short anthology stuff. I've been doing that for years, you know, a few, a number of years before that, that happened. And those years were spent going to cons and trying to pitch and show, you know, get, collaborating with artists and getting pitches together and showing it to publishers and, um, you know, showing it to other creators and just making the rounds. And I used to hang out at drinking draws, which is where actually I met Tim and Tim and I are like, you know, best friends to this day. Tim's one of my you know best friends in the world. Um, and that relationship started just from me hanging out, putting myself out there and trying to be part of the community in a very, you know, in a very, how do I say it? Uh, earnest way. You know, I, yes, there's no way to hide the fact that I was trying to break in. I was trying to get in, but I also just wanted to be there. I wanted to be there because I love comics and I liked the community. And I liked the people I was hanging out with. Like it was a very genuine, Tim and I became friends and we remained friends because we were genuinely people who just worked together, you know, like as people, as friends. Um, and an opportunity grew organically out of that, but it's just showing up. It's putting in that legwork. You know, I see creators online, young creators and I cringe, you know, like they, I can't, I, I mean, like somebody, somebody, and I won't name names again, but 
like somebody got a job. There's this young creator who got a job and this person was like, I got this job writing this uh, license or character or something like that, that I've loved for years. And the creator is, is a piece of garbage, but I'm still glad. I'm like, why are you saying that? Why are you, yeah. the, you just got this job. And the first thing you do is take a dump on the person who created. Yes. Maybe the person is a monster. Maybe the person is, but if you feel so strongly about it, don't take the job tip of the spear, man. Like, like, so you're fine taking the job that this person created, but you're, but you'll, you'll, you'll trash talk them at the same time. It's like, you're taking the job that that person created. You can't be both, you know, yeah. like, but like you put out this such a, you know, again, social media wasn't such a thing, you know, 10 plus years ago. And like, I see so many creators being so disingenuous, so negative, feeling so entitled. And I'm just like, look, it sucks. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's, 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 it's nerve wracking. You know, it's, it blows to your ego, you know, all these things, anything, anytime you try to do something, you know, like just by simply making the attempt, it's kind of a failure in and of itself because having to try means you don't have it. Right. So you've kind of already failed. So that's part of the deal, man. Like, you are kind of starting at a position of failure and that sucks. And anybody nine out of 10 or 9.9 out of 10 people who are working in comics or film or architecture or whatever started at a point of just having to try eventually. And you got to just kind of take your bruises along the way. I took many, I took many rejections. I took many bad experiences and it was frustrating and heartbreaking, but you have to either stick with it or don't. And that's, and I'm kind of going a circuitous way of like saying like, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And during the marathon, it's going to be hard. It's means tons of adversity, but like you have to be good during the time. Like granted, there's limitations on good. If somebody's abusing you or harassing you, that's a whole different story, you know, but like you just have to kind of put in that legwork and take the rejection, but stick around and, be earnest, make real, make real relationships with people. You know, like I have tons of relationships with people that like are in comics that like, I don't ever think I'm going to work with that person, you know, as an editor over here or something like that, or a publisher over there. I don't really have any interest in working with them, but I like them as people. They're my friend, you know, and that's all that's like necessary. That's all that I really kind of like, I guess, want out of that relationship. And I feel so many people that I see so much cravenness. It's like, slow down, <laughs> you know, just make good relationships, be good to the community, stick around, do your work. And like you, there's it's the best chance you have of making it. If it's what you want is to make it, that's the best chance you have. And I know it's not the advice that I wish there was like a, you know, a genie bottle or some sort of magic something that says like, if you do this, you get it. There's not, you know, there's really, really not. And it just takes time and patience and, you know, the ability to kind of take a lot of grief and that's not the greatest thing, but like, that is kind of, at least everybody I know has gone down that path. That's how the path I went down. And, um, you know, but when you get there, it gets better. It's still not perfect. I still take my, I still take my share of lumps and, and disappointments and frustrations even now. And then you just, you just keep rolling. That that's so awesome to hear. And, and really, I think, honest and and just something that i think everyone should hear that wants to wants to do it um so where can people find you where can we get a hold of you what's all your social media places and things like that 
Oh yeah. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at, at Michael Morisi, uh, M O R E C I, you know, pretty, pretty simple. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Mike, I, I really appreciate you doing this with me. I, uh, um, just had a blast. I, I learned so much, man. So thank you. Oh yeah. Thanks for the great questions. And, and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you asking. This is, this is really great. <laughs> thank you.